The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's sermon was preached by Elder Adam Green of Arkansas at our annual meeting in 2023. In this sermon, taken from Daniel chapter 5 and verse 27, which contains the interpretation of one of the words written in God's handwriting on the wall of Belshazzar's banquet house, that interpretation is, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Brother Adam reminds us that in the balances of God, we are all found wanting. But he also encourages us by taking us to the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ was not found wanting, but instead imparted his perfect righteousness to each and every one of his children. Due to the length of this sermon, we will not have an introductory song, but please join us today for this wonderful message entitled, Weighed in the Balances and Found Wanting. Turn with me, if you you would, over to Daniel chapter 5, and let's look at the story contained there. Now, when you're reading the Bible here, there is a period of time that has passed between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. It's not back-to-back sequence activities. So Daniel 4 has the well-known story of Nebuchadnezzar and his being lifted up in pride and God... uh, giving him a, a, a vision, a dream, if I remember correctly, and that uh, Daniel was used to interpret it and to explain to him that he was basically going to become insane for a while and that uh, he would uh, be like a, a beast of the field and he would eventually then be able to recover that. And those things happened and Daniel was lifted up to a position of prominence there. Daniel had been taken as one of the uh, the young people away from the nation of, of Judah from there in Jerusalem and brought into Babylonian captivity. And he, he started out as kind of being in a, a management trainee program, you might say, there in the, in the Babylonian Empire. So when we come to chapter 5, some time has, has gone on. 
Several places here, the current king of Babylon, which is Belshazzar, he's going to be referred to as the son of Nebuchadnezzar, or Nebuchadnezzar is going to be referred to as his father, but it's not a literal exact generation. It's more his forefather. I don't remember if it was his grandfather or great-grandfather or what it was, but it wasn't back-to-back. There were other kings of Babylon that were in between them, so just understand when it calls him his father there. So Belshazzar uh, seems to have... Uh, basically moved Daniel over to kind of just a, a, uh, a, a corner somewhere where he's kind of forgotten, he's still respected, but he's no longer being leaned on for the type of counsel that he was during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Bel, uh, Belshazzar had apparently forgotten him. So when we come to Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is having a big party. And he has invited uh, a thousand individuals that were the people that were the princes and the nobles of the land. Uh, Interestingly, Daniel's not included with them. But he has them there and he's wanting to impress them all with his greatness and his elegance and his power and his kingliness, you might say. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father, his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. The irony of this picture... So whenever Nebuchadnezzar had looted the city of Jerusalem and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple, he had taken back all of the, all of the, the valuables, you might say, that were there in the temple. And there had been uh, cups that were of gold and of silver, things that were dedicated to the worship of God. And here now, in his uh, drunken stupor and revelry, he's essentially toasting his idols and drinking uh, praise to his idol gods as a way of of, uh, demeaning the one true and living God. He He is essentially saying the God of Israel was so puny that we're going to toast our gods with the vessels that were used for the worship of the Israelite gods. Here's one of the things, though, that he had apparently forgotten or not been reminded of from his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar. Those gods don't have eyes, but the one true and living God sees everything. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews that all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Over in the book of Psalms, the the psalmist writes and says, Thou knowest my down-sittings and uprisings and art acquainted with all my thoughts. A lot of times we like to think of the presence of God in regards to two arenas in life. We like to think of the presence of God whenever we're in worship. Uh, There's the verse over there in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew that says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Interestingly, the verse is specifically related to the church's activity of church discipline and God's corroboration of that. 
The principle I trust would still apply, though, whenever the church is met together with uh, reasons of worship and not just matters of, of discipline. So we like to think of the presence of God whenever we're met together to worship. That's one arena. The second arena is we love to consider the presence of God whenever we're in trouble. Whenever we're needing God, whenever we're uh, drowning beneath some, some winds and some waves, that's when we want to, we, we, you know, we like the idea of God being there. But the simple fact of the matter is, God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. There is nothing that is hidden from God. So that means whenever we're engaged in something we shouldn't be engaged in, we need to remember God is there as well. You know, a lot of times, and, and uh, just my experience in 48 years of life is that uh, it seems to have gotten a little bit easier than, than age, but there are times in life when the, the pressure of what those around us, particularly in our friend group or our, our peer group, see has a tremendous amount of influence on us. A lot of times we'll be uh, pressured to do something that is wrong because of them seeing us or to not do something that we know is right because of them seeing us. Let me tell you something. The eyes of God, though, are there as well, and that matters more. Amen. That matters more. And so here Belshazzar was, and he's toasting his fake idol gods with the, with the objects of worship of the one true and living God, and God is seeing every moment of it. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. So here they are. Having this party, he's got his thousand lords and nobles that are there to ooh and awe over his, his kingly splendor and his wives are there and, and concubines are there. And all of a sudden, he sees something that is, has, as far as I can tell in the scriptures and the history of the world, never seen before and never seen since. The, the, a man's hand appears on the wall and begins to write in the plaster or the stone or the wood or whatever it was that was covering uh, the wall there, and begins to write words, and there's no man with the hand. It's just a hand by itself that's writing on the wall. Now, it has an effect on Belshazzar. It would have an effect on anyone. Let's be honest about that. I believe the, the technical term for it is freak somebody out. I, that, that's, that's what it would do. It's what it would do to me if I were to see that thing happen. So Belshazzar sees it, and it says the king saw the part of the hand, the plaster it's writing on the hand that wrote, and it says in verse 6, then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I want you to see the first thing that happens here when the God who sees everything makes his presence known by hand writing on the wall. Now, the very last verse of the, of the, uh, the chapter right before Nebuchadnezzar says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the God of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Here is, is Belshazzar, and he's got these thousand nobles that he's brought there so that they can be impressed with him. And the Bible says, And the joints of his loins were loosed. 
Now, my mother-in-law's dog was over at our house the other day, and I've got a, a German shepherd. She's five years old. I love her, and she, she's, she's my baby, and if you don't like dogs, I will try to fellowship you anyway, but, <laughs> but she's, you know, I, I love her, but she has a little bit of a problem with liking to assert dominance, so she doesn't want to hurt another dog, apparently. Uh, she really never never has that, that I know of. She's nipped them a few times, but she likes if it's another dog that's in her house and she doesn't know real well, she'll grab them by the neck and just pin them to the floor. She won't put any pressure on it, but it does a really good job of, of telling the other dog who it is that's bossed. Well, my mother-in-law's dog was over and, and Myla did that to her. And when, uh, we, when we you know, made Miley get off of it, there was a mess then on the floor that we had to clean up because the joints, the joints of her loins were loosened. Are we on the same page here? <laughs> All right? You, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> when God makes his presence known on the scene, the first thing that happens is Belshazzar is humiliated. He is openly and publicly humiliated there before all of his nobles. He doesn't look very kingly when he's, when he's completely uh, uh, dissolving in terror and he's shaking all over and the joints of his loins have been loosed. He's immediately embarrassed before the very people that he had there to be impressed with him. And so he says, I, I don't understand what's going on, what this is. I'm going to call all the wise men and the soothsayers and the magicians and the Chaldeans. And they're going to, whoever, whoever can tell me what it means. Now, this is, there's a particular verse I want to get to. So y'all, uh, let, me, let me do some fast forwarding here. So he says, I'm going to give a, a great reward to anyone who can explain what it says and then explain what it means. And all of his soothsayers and wise men, etc., none of them could even tell him what it said, let alone what it meant. And then it says, then verse um, 10, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. I presume, and you take that for, for what it's worth, I presume that it, when it says the queen here, it's not referring to the wife of Belshazzar because it says his, his wives were in attendance. I presume that it means the queen mother, the queen grandmother, someone um, who was of a previous generation or generations from Belshazzar, someone who was able to remember what had happened in the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And she says, your forefather Nebuchadnezzar had a man who was, uh, who was extremely wise, and here's how she says it. She says in verse 11, There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, little g God, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods, little g God, was with him. And she explains that here's this man, Daniel, you should bring him in and consult with him because your forefather, Nebuchadnezzar, leaned on him tremendously. Now, I want to chase a small rabbit into a small brush pile just for a second, Brother Lance. You can time me. It's going to be a short one. <clears throat> what the Bible says is always accurate. What the Bible says is always true. What the Bible truly and accurately records is not always truth. The Bible truly and accurately records when people say something that is wrong. Go over to the book of Job. 
you've got several men talking for a long period of time. What does God say whenever he appears there in the world? And he says, who is this that, uh, that, that darkeneth counsel with words without wisdom? What does that tell you? There were some folks saying things that were just flat wrong, but the Bible truly and accurately records them. This verse is not the Bible giving any type of credence to the... To the uh, legitimacy of idols and false gods, it is the Bible truly and accurately recording what the queen said here to Belshazzar. So when we read the scriptures, we need to understand whenever the Bible is accurately recording what somebody said and they were dead wrong, okay? Now, she says you need to talk to Daniel. So he has Daniel called for and brought in and, and, and he seems to be somewhat um, unimpressed with Daniel who... I've heard some scholars think he was in his 80s or so at this time. And he basically said, I'm going to paraphrase somewhat, but mom said I ought to get you to, to, um, uh, to look at this. And if there's anything you can do, have at it, I'll give, you, I'll give you the honors and I'll give you the reward. Now, here's what Daniel says to him, essentially. King, you can keep your money and your clothes. I'm going to explain it to you, but I don't, I don't need any reward for it. Then well, he, he says, "Thou hast." I'm in verse 23, but thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, in whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. He says, you've toasted idols who are, who are not alive and you've, you've uh, lifted up your heart in rebellion against the God who is the one true and living God. And he said, he's the one that has sent this hand to you. And he says, this is the writing that was written, meany, meany, tekel, you farsen, or perez. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So Belshazzar proceeds uh, with, and I don't know if he believed him or didn't believe him. He proceeds with making a proclamation to, uh, to reward Daniel. And it says in verse 30, in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom being about three score and two years old. As brother Mark said, when God says something is going to happen, it is going to happen. God might delay for a while. You know, he, God delayed for a while before he sent the flood between the time he said it was going to happen. But God said it was going to happen. And so therefore it did happen. Nebuchadnezzar, if I remember right, had about a year's worth of space in between the time that the judgment was pronounced on him and it coming to pass. There was no space for Belshazzar. There's no space for Belshazzar. My point here is this. If God has, tell, has told us to stop doing something that you and I are doing or to do something, we don't need to think, well, God's obligated to give me some time to get around to it. When it what did, what did uh, Philip do when God said, join yourself to that chariot? 
Three of my favorite words in the Bible, three of the most condemning words in the Bible for me personally, it says, and Philip ran. That's right. Amen. God, I'll amble over that direction. <laughs> I'll, get to, I'll get with him. No, what did he do? He ran. Amen. He ran. In a desert, he ran. Now, that very night, the, the Medes and the Persians, led by Darius, take over the kingdom of Babylon, establish the Medo-Persian Empire, and King Belshazzar is killed. And one of the interesting things is, while all of this in chapter 4 is going on, history would tell us that apparently the Medes and the Persians were already crawling around in the dark places and under the city because they, there was a, if I remember correctly, and, and that, there's always a caveat that goes with that. If I remember correctly, they had stopped up the, the river, uh, Euphrates, I think, that flowed into the city of Babylon enough where they could come into the tunnels that was used to funnel the river water into the city. And so, who knows, they may have been under the, under the floor of the, the ballroom listening to this conversation and go, oh, I, I have no idea, but all of the things that were going to happen are already in play at the time that Daniel is explaining this to Belshazzar. Now, that's the story of Daniel chapter 5. But I want to go back for a text. that I, I, I got Brother Buddy's watch, so you, know, you don't have to get too worried about that. <laughs> I want to go back to one verse here. Go to verse 27. I want to go through the whole story because there's, there's just a lot of wonderful points in there. But go with me now back to verse 27 where he explains the word tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting, lacking. You know, whenever we're going to weigh something, whenever we're going to examine something, it's really important that we use the right scales. There are people whose entire job is going around to different companies calibrating the scales and, and machines and tools that do measurement to ensure that they're exactly right. That's important to you and to me. I mean, when you and I go to the gas station, I like to see the sticker that says, we've checked to make sure that when it says it gave you a gallon of gas, it gave you a gallon of gas. If you don't use the right scales and the right measurements, the calculations that are used to measure don't really matter. You know, when I, I weigh 200 and right at 215 pounds, and, and that's, my doctor says that's about 30 pounds more than my little bird frame needs to be carrying. And, and he's right, because it, it hurts a lot. Now, I go and step on his scales there at the doctor's office, and it flashes that number at me, and, and he then, you know, he, he tracks it on this little thing, and he says, well, last time, you, you know, you've gained nine pounds since the last time you saw me. If you gain nine pounds every time you come to see me and he did the calculation, are you ready to weigh your weigh 417? Said, Thanks, Doc. I appreciate that. But he always goes, now, I'm not gonna, I say you this, say this. You, you remember the scales that, that um, back when they were mechanical scales, not electronic, there at the house, you could turn that little dial on the top of them and it would, it would move the calibration. So what if I move that calibration over to the left so that I step on it and it says 185. <laughs> if I go to him and says, Doc, I have weighed myself and I now weigh 185. Is that going to matter? When I step on his scales and now I'm up to 220, 
Is he, is he going to care that I weighed myself on my scales and it said something better? He's not going to care at all. Why? Because he's going to say, well, you've measured with the wrong scales. These are the official scales. Go with me, if you would, over into the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. While we're going there, I'm going to remind you about the Apostle Paul. Before the Apostle Paul was born again, he records for us how he used to weigh himself over in Philippians chapter 3. He talked about his assessment before regeneration and says in his mind, his assessment of himself was this. As touching the law, blameless. I'm okay. There is nothing wrong with me. That's how he measured himself. We have a young man here in Matthew chapter 19 who measured himself, and I would be inclined to say that he was born again. Now, if I'm remembering my Bible correctly, I think if, if this is the same man that when he went away sorrowful, the Bible says uh, the Lord loved him, I can say with definitive statement regarding whether or not he was a child of God, in regards to his, his, um, his regenerative state, I'm presuming that he is because of his interest in Christ. I don't, I don't know that I can say that with any, with any certainty. His final state, I can, uh, but this moment in time. But he had measured himself and he liked what he saw. He came to Christ and he says, good master, what thing should I do that I may, uh, how does he say it, that I may uh, have eternal life? Well, Christ first reminds him, do you really acknowledge who it is you're speaking to? Because if you're going to call me good, I'm paraphrasing somewhat, if you're going to call me good, you have to call me God as well. Just reminded him to think through what he's saying. And then Christ gives him an answer. He says, but if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, remember, James says, he that keepeth in, uh, keeps the commandments and everything but offends in one point, he's guilty of all of it. The, the, the standard with God is you are either righteous or not. Now, who gets to define what righteous is? That's a good question. Who has the scales to decide what righteous is? Only God. Amen. God himself is the very definition of righteousness. The line that says this is just is the line that God has drawn. It is defined by God's justice, God's holiness, and God's righteousness. This man has measured himself and said, well, I like what I see. I've kept the commandments. He, and he says, well, Christ, which commandments am I supposed to keep? And Christ says, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, all these things, you can see him sliding his hands under his lapels. Yep, Christ, you're right. All these things I've kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? Is there any measurement, Christ, that would say that I'm not just right? And Christ exposes his covetousness and his selfishness. He exposed his idolatry. Because the Bible says that covetousness is like idolatry. He, and Christ just, just points, shines a light right on the sin in his heart and says this. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. 
I think he understood what Christ was saying. Have you measured your covetousness? And therefore, have you measured your, thou shalt have no other gods before me? And he went away sorrowful. Because all of a sudden, he had been measured on God's scales. God has measured each and every one of us as a member of mankind. And if you want to know what the scales read, when all of mankind is weighed in the balance of the scales of God's holiness, here is what the scale reads on the, on the screen. It says this, as it is written, written as it were on the scales of the holiness and righteousness of God, as it is written, Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Amen. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God has looked at the entirety of mankind in the fall of Adam. And what you and I have done have just gone and propagated the, the justness of that condemnation because our sins far extend hey, over the boundaries of just the inherited sin from Adam. We've proven over and over and over and over and over that we're sinners. Amen. And God has looked at us and said, you have been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting. Right. And he had pronounced condemnation on you and on me and on every single member of the entirety of the human race. You have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. We do not measure up. But I want you to go with me now. Romans chapter 1 we'll start in verse or I'm sorry Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll start in verse 3 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world now watch this part here's what God chose us to that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God has said, I have measured you. And the measurement says there is none righteous, no, not one. But God says, I have chosen you and I have predestinated you so that you will be holy and without blame before him in love. Tickle says this. You have been weighed and measured and been found wanting, but the Bible gives us something now to say that that's not the end of the story, and we find it in the beautiful words of David in the 23rd Psalm. David says this, The Lord is my shepherd. Now what does he say? I shall not want. Why? Why is that? Because God... Because he is rich in mercy, gave us his son to be those things that you and I were lacking. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
Listen to me, friends. This may sound sacrilegious. It's hard for me to say because it doesn't sound right, but it's nonetheless true. Because of the work of the everlasting covenant, God has measured you. He's measured every single one of those that Jesus Christ has died for. And the measurement on the scale says you are as righteous as God. That's hard to consider. That's hard to consider because our heart condemns us. Because we still deal with the motions of the old nature that we have inside of us. And we're aware of the sin that we carry. But there's been a great and grand and divine transaction. And here's what happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to be sin for us. He that knew no sin. To what result? To what end? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. We're no longer tekel. Right. We are now holy and without blame before Him in love. Yes, as a member of the fallen race of Adam, the judgment on us was pronounced. Thou hast been weighed in the balances and art found wanting. But because the Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. I shall not want. Why is that? Because as Hebrews 10 said, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified through the work of the offering of Jesus Christ once for sins. I love you and I hope that's been some benefit to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.